one big part of it is having a study leader or a really, you know, excellent, knowledgeable person to guide you through. So they, they bring it to life. It's not just, you know, staring at some paintings and not really knowing what they mean. It's all part of the story that is created. Thanks for tuning in to the Travel Grind podcast, where we talk about not just the places, but also the people in the wide, wide world of travel. I'm Andy Ridgway, and in this episode, I'm talking to Lisa Benshia, who runs the Members Travel Program at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art in California. It's a relatively rare affinity travel program that doesn't just offer great destinations, but makes sure there's always a strong art or architecture component in the itinerary to satisfy those travelers' interests. And they must be doing it right because the program is about to celebrate its 50th, that's 50-year anniversary. And even though art and uh, museums in particular are a common part of so many visits to major cities, whether it's part of a group tour or individually planned, relatively few travelers book a trip specifically to see that art or to make it the main reason for choosing a destination in the first place. I talked to Lisa about this, about who those travelers are, and about what makes the art worth traveling for in the first place. Of course, we get into well-known great destinations for art like Italy, but she also comes through with some surprising recommendations that most of us wouldn't think of as an art destination, and at least one that's probably not even on your travel radar at all. Uh, We also talk a little bit about affinity travel in general, what it's all about. Uh, We discover a task that all tour managers need to be able to pull off if this particular situation arises. And she drops a very, very tasty sounding hint for anyone with a Nespresso machine. Check it out. I'm very happy to be joined today by Lisa Benshia, who runs the Members Travel Program at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art. Uh, Lisa, thanks for being here with me. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. And, you know, the reason I really wanted to have you on the podcast is that, you know, art is actually a big part of a lot of group tours or not even just group tours, but all types of tours, right? They stop to see museums. Uh, Museums are big attractions in a lot of big cities, especially. Uh, There's art out and about in a lot of these destinations, but a few of them actually are specifically focused on the art part of the tour, right? But your program really does try to make art a focus of the destination or the or the tour itself, right? That's right. That's right. And it can be art, it can be architecture, and sometimes we involve historical sites, even, even gardens, but a lot of it's art, meaning museums, artist studios, um, things like sculpture, gardens, um, galleries, things like that. I love it. And so, well, before we get then too far into uh, the art specifically, let's talk a little bit about affinity travel in general, because this is a part of, you know, my business and and the world of travel I live in or I, I work in and the part of uh, travel that that you are in. But a lot of people in the general travel space aren't that familiar with affinity travel. It's it's sort of a either something they've ne- they're not really aware of or some sort of an abstract concept, you know. But tell me about your program. First of all, at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art, you've been doing it for a long time. One of the longest running 
affinity travel programs that I am aware of, right, in the early 70s. Right, exactly. I know, I just realized in 2022, we'll be celebrating our 50-year anniversary because it was started in 1972 with a trip to Mexico, I think, and then India. And yeah, this woman named Shelley Rustin, who worked at the museum, had this this vision. And there were a few other um, university programs that were starting. So yeah, with the Affinity Market, it's a lot of uh, university programs, as you know. Well, you better start planning now. 2022, 50th anniversary, you've got to go big, right? I know. We <laughs> definitely have to go big. All right. Well, it's, it's, what do you, what do you think is a big attraction for, it doesn't, it can be, it can be uh, art focused, but wh- what do you think is a big part of affinity travel? What is it that is attractive to the travelers? I think it's about going deeper. Um, it's for the traveler that maybe doesn't want to have a passive vacation. They want to be intellectually stimulated. Um, people who want to be engaged and increase their cultural awareness really enjoy our tours. So whether it be affinity travel, traveling with um, uh, with with a focus on politics, or for art, if for us it's a focus on art. It's people who want to have a bit more of a profound experience when they travel, I think. Right. And with a group of people who share the same, the same, uh, I guess the same affinity, right? This group of people that have, you have something in common with, you know, you're going to be able to uh, share sort of a like-minded experience with them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So for, for us, it's members of the museum and everyone on the tours is similarly interested in seeing the culture, the history, the politics of a country through the lens of art. Right. Good, good. All right. Well, let's then get more uh, focused on the art part because it's, it is funny. I I talked just briefly, I, I mentioned the fact that so many of these cities have these grand museums and these fabulous art collections that uh, are on they're in all the guidebooks and they're on the group tour itineraries uh but i have found that travelers tend to have sort of a love hate relationship with big museums uh and not necessarily because they don't like art but i think because of that fact that it seems like it's always there it's always on the itinerary and you know a lot of people who maybe don't aren't as interested in art feel like they've seen the museums, you know, they go to one city and they, they've seen the museum, they've seen the museum or they don't have, maybe they haven't learned about the art as much, or they just, they're just not interested. Have you experienced that? I mean, I know that your group is specifically part of your group because they're in, more interested in art, but you know, there, there's a flip side, right? I mean, is it, can you talk a little bit about the big, uh, the big attraction of museums versus sort of the, the repetitive, you know, criticism? Yeah, well, that's an interesting perspective because, you know, most of the people in my world are already interested in art. But um, I know that there is a big population that would say, you know, I want to just go to a city and wander. I don't want to be inside a museum. Um, But, you know, one thing that we do is is make it different. Wherever we can, we'll um, try to have an early 
entrance at a museum, or maybe you go down into the vaults, um, or one big part of it is having a study leader um, or a really, you know, excellent, knowledgeable person to guide you through. So they they bring it to life. It's not just, um, you know, staring at some paintings and not really knowing what they mean. It's all part of the story that is created. And the best, the best, most successful tours, I think, are the ones that have a story and parts of it are weaved throughout every day. And so you, you, you create this kind of, this, the story that you walk away with and you understand. So a guide can really bring things together, bring things to life or connect the dots for you. Um, so we sometimes have curators accompany our trips or um, outside art historians, and they'll really bring meaning to the the museums and the art that you're seeing. And I think that really makes all the difference. I agree. that, and I love that. That's key. And that's true for all of our trips, of course. But particularly for a place like a museum where so often you see, like you said, people just looking at the paintings, not necessarily having any story, any context, even the little audio tours. It's not the same as somebody there who has studied it and who has lived their life, you know, dedicated to, to uh, you know, writing about and learning about this art, right? And instead of being part of a group that's just being herded through a museum, you know, by a, by a docent or by, by uh, some tour manager, tour tour guide that's uh, that's there to to sort of lead the group instead of lead a or or, or provide a uh, you know the, the learning element I mean that makes all the difference right right exactly yeah I think that that and that's what our trips attract is a, a traveler who wants to learn and wants to be um as I said, intellectually stimulated and art can provide that for them. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, it's, you have the travelers that are, that are interested in the art and learning more and seeing and experiencing these, maybe just even a specific piece of art, right? That, that they have learned about or, or read about or seen in pictures or in videos or, or whatever. Uh, this is, this is an, a question that I've had that, is that enough? You know, it, it's, it's, and I know for certain people for, obviously it is obviously that just, just making the trek across, you know, halfway across, across the world to see a specific piece of art might seem crazy to some people, to many people, and especially people who feel like they're being herded through a museum when they go to London or to, to Rome or to Paris or, or St. Petersburg, whatever. But I mean, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be special for somebody who is willing to take the time, spend the money, you know, make the plans to travel that far just to see art, right? I mean, you, and you, mm -hmm. you must talk to these people. I mean, is it, is it, uh, it, it's, it's very, it's a very narrow part of the niche, right? Of, uh, of affinity traveler or, uh, educational travel, expert led travel, whatever you want to call it, group travel mm -hmm. in general. I mean, it, but there's so much art out there that it almost makes a it almost makes a uh, the world larger in a way that you oh look you have all this opportunity to travel to see art just about anywhere, right? I mean it, it's mm -hmm. it's not just a museum in a big city in 
you know, uh, or, or even a smaller city. I mean, there's art everywhere out there. Can you, I mean, to talk about that, talk about how all over the world and may, maybe a lot of people, you know, immediately default to, you know, the big museums in Europe when they think of traveling to see art, right? The old European masters type of thing. But your trips go all over the world. And I think you already mentioned India. I mean, there are some destinations that aren't necessarily, that wouldn't necessarily pop into people's mind as an art destination, but might be a huge exactly. attraction for your travelers, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, India, we do a lot of trips there. Bhutan is probably my favorite country in the world. And there aren't, I think we go to one museum on our on a trip to Bhutan, you're often walking through the songs, which are, are like their temples or through, um, through uh, villages and, and seeing art along the way. Or right. um, in India, a lot of times it's everywhere you look and it might be um, uh, history paintings. It might be, um, you know, painted walls that um, tell the story of the Buddha. And so it's, places that you're, you're really experiencing it. And so you talked about, you know, art taking people all around the world and context really matters. Um, and I, I mean, on a personal level, I majored in art history in college. I went to Occidental. I, I don't have a master's in art history. I can't, you know, talk about the art on, on our trips. I'm more knowledgeable about where the bathroom is than what the art means. Well, but, that comes you know, in I handy. That's, that's in valuable. It. it very much comes in handy. Yeah. I think people sometimes appreciate me knowing that and knowing about the art. And then I'll hire the people who do know about the art. Good. But um, when I was in, in college as an undergraduate art history major, um, you know, you sit, you sit in a dark room and you listen to a professor talk about the art that's up there on the screen and it's three-dimensional and I learned so much. I loved my professors there. Shout out to Professor Eric Frank. Um, but <laughs> when I actually went abroad during college and then since then I've traveled so many places, it's so different to see the paint strokes of a painting to walk around and gaze up at the buildings that I had studied. It's, it's more of a, an experience, a sensory experience. It's a feeling. And I will say there's actually a lot of adults, retirees that I've shared this, that we have shared the same story. So maybe they took art history in college and now as um, you know, now they want to, and maybe they've been to Italy a number of times, but now they want to go again and um, learn more about the art history. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's still fun. Our tours are fun. You know, it's not just okay. um, like a graduate seminar right. at all, um, but it is definitely making it, it, it's a way to bring, bring the culture to life through art. And um, I think that's why I always like to see art when I traveled. And I think that's what takes our travelers back over and over again on, uh, to di different destinations in the world to see, see the art there. That makes perfect sense to me. And, and you sort of uh, touched on something, I, something else I was going to ask about these days. I mean, and, and I'm not going to, uh, going to, going to 
age uh, us too much here, but you know, when we it was it was art books. You had these beautiful sort of coffee table art books, or or mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, they were always around. They were special books that had these great, you know, kind of oversized, glossy photos of art or or uh, or architecture, that kind of thing. These days, you've got the internet, and you can find anything. You can find beautiful photos of places, you know, that people snap on their phones. But in addition to that, you have companies like Google, right, who have specific cameras that they use just to scan pieces of art in museums and make them available online. And that was going to be uh, something I brought up with you because you can see these places and these, you know, uh, you can do virtual tours essentially, right? And and I'm not going to get too much into the whole virtual travel <laughs> road right now because that's a whole different, uh, whole different uh, path to go. Uh, on a travel podcast, but in art specifically, you know, there are fantastic images of these pieces of art, probably better than ever mm-hmm. now that you can get online. But, you know, so I can, I can see an argument there uh, from a lot of people saying, well, I mean, it, it, is it really that different to go to a museum, you know, that far away and be able to just look at it you know, versus seeing it and being able to zoom in and see details online, you know, almost the same way you would there. But there's no, I mean, there's really no comparison, right? There's, yeah, I don't think there is. And I think I've experienced it more over the past couple months. And as you said, we don't have to go down the virtual travel route because we're all talking about that experience. But I was, you know, excited about all these things that were online. So for instance, it's the 500th anniversary of the Renaissance painter Raphael's death. death. And so I was just reading this great New York Times article that came out and there are videos online and there are, you know, guides walking you through buildings and showing you um, or through through this wonderful exhibition that's up right now. Um, it goes gallery by gallery. And that one was pretty good, but I was just, I get frustrated by it because I want to be there myself. Just, it's not the same. And so we're sharing these virtual ideas with our travelers, um, but it's it's just not the same. And a traveler um, sent me an email this morning and he said, let's go back to Ireland when we're all footloose again. And I thought that is such a cute thing to think about. So for me, the virtual travel um, and seeing wonderful Google images, as you mentioned, only get me more excited to go there again in the future. Right. It's, it, you know, that's, that's, good. that's, that's a good point. the goal. And that, yeah, it whets my appetite, but it doesn't satisfy it. That's great. I, I love that. It's sort of part of the preparation that you do for traveling mm-hmm. to these places. Right. Which is almost as almost as much fun as actually being there. Right. And it's funny you mentioned exactly. it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, Raphael because that that's an example that I can speak to in along this same uh, along this same subject and because I've been to Urbino in Italy uh, where he was born and uh-huh. it's a place that I hadn't heard of before when I got there I just happened to go through there <laughs> you know one of the one of my visits to Italy and it well, first of all, Italy is a place that has so much historical and, you know, artist, artistic treasure. 
that they just they almost don't know what to do with it all right i mean it, it's almost not right. fair they just they there's so much probably t- there's more tucked away in in dusty basements in italy than almost anywhere else uh that has it on display but when i got there i got to urbino and i've found this i mean this is a place that if it was almost anywhere else in the world would be a huge tourist attraction it you know it would be it would it would everybody would know about it and and because it is it is uh, amazing and it's and it's beautiful and the city itself i mean you is a is a work of art right just walking around the town and there is these old fortresses and and you know turrets and and then you go and there's some fabulous museum that's you know has all these important artworks and it it, it just it's in in an almost you know nondescript corner of of italy not in one of the major, you know, and you're not in, and I won't say, I won't try to, I won't minimize it too much because obviously it is, it's a big deal, but you know, it's not in Tuscany, it's in uh, La Marche, right? And I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's in, you know, a different region of Italy that people don't normally talk about. It's uh, right. And it's, it's overshadowed by the Rome's, Rome's, by the Rome's and, and the Florences, Florences yeah. and the multi-coast. And, yeah. It's, I haven't been to Urbino, but um, I have been to Ravenna. Have you been there? Mm-hmm. I have not. So Ravenna is where there's um, mosaics all over. So you go into these churches and um, there's so many sites there that span hundreds of years. And so one thing that was recommended to me when I was um, younger and went there with my mom was to go see them in order. So start with mm. the ones that were, again, I can't, I'm not an art history guide, so I can't right. even remember the years that they were, but, you know, see the earlier ones first and then see, you know, and do it in chronological order, essentially. And that, but the tricky part is, is they're all over the place. So we had, a, my mom and I went, we had a rental car. And mm. so we would drive from place to place or walk from place to place. And logistically, it didn't make sense. You know, we were zigzagging across the city. But that was a much more interesting way to see the evolution of the mosaics and the process. Um, But you had asked earlier about about experiencing a place. And I remember that, I think it was two days that we did this. I also remember the food that we ate and the smells and (laughs) the, you know, feeling of being there. I think like even how hot it was, you know, and, and so it's, it becomes a memory. Whereas I think if I just watched a video online or saw a picture, you know, I don't think it would be the same. So it's, you know, not, not everyone is able to travel. Obviously it it takes a lot of money and it, you know, it costs a lot of money, but, um, so it's a, you know, wonderful substitute for, when you can't get to a place, but I definitely feel feel grateful for the travels I have had, and I think it's um, really different to be there there in person. Absolutely, and, and that and Ravenna is also you know just like Urbino is just this kind of off the beaten track destination right. that has the art treasures that um, you know the first timer to Italy may not visit. Yes, yes, I love it, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean. I mean, the sensory experience part, right? Uh, we could probably do a whole po- uh, podcast episode just about that, about the whole sensory experience of travel, right? About the sights uh-huh. and the, not just the sights, but the smells and the sounds and, and, uh, and all those things that enhance an experience. But, uh, <laughs> because that you're right when you're, when you're there in an old museum, 
uh, or in a city or, or someplace like that, funny enough, you know, the smell of it really does, really does make a difference and really does have an impact and enhance the experience. Yep, absolutely. It really does enhance it. That's a perfect word. Well, let's uh, then let's let's quickly move on before we uh, before we take a little break. Let's move on and uh, or let's let's wrap up this part about art by saying because we could t- I mean come on we could talk about art and different places and different pieces of art for for hours, but we only have so much time here. We're on we're on the clock, right? You you uh, you have a napping child, so <laughs> uh, all right. And you know when you talk about art as a as an attraction for travelers, uh, not just as, you know, part of the, you know, one of the, one of the many, uh, items on a, on a list of, uh, of things you're doing on a tour, but as the main attraction, it, it, it does open some doors that might not have been open otherwise, but, and it can bring you to so many places, I think, as we, as we mentioned before, but one of the interesting things that I have seen, uh, maybe even just looking at, a list of trips, you know, for, for your travel program, you know, people don't generally think of Detroit as an art or, you know, architecture destination, right? But you do trips there or, or even uh, someplace that's sort of more exotic, uh, like a Morocco, right? People don't necessarily think of the places like that as a destination to see art, right? But maybe that's the place that somebody might go that has been to, all the major museums in your many of the major museums in Europe, right? And or or uh, you know been to the big art uh, cities or or sites or destinations in Japan, uh, the the more well known destinations, right? And so maybe it's something that they they want to broaden their scope a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, and that's something that's so exciting about what I do. What I about planning the trips. If you, we talked about Italy, most tours see the art there. Of course. But people don't travel to a place like French Polynesia to see art. But there is such incredible art there. And I did a scouting trip and then planned a trip for the museum to French Polynesia. And I was blown away by by both the historical art and also what the contemporary artists are doing, often the young artists who are kind of exploring, you know, identity, but there's so many, so much color and beauty in their paintings and sculpture. Um, And so it's, it's, as you said, it's people don't think French Polynesia and think to see the art there, but we created this wonderful itinerary that it explores that. I love it. I love it. And so you have, you, and I'm I, sure you have travel. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that it, it, people might not trust, like trust. Why would I go to French Polynesia for that reason? But a lot of our travelers who have already been to Ireland or Japan, places you mentioned, um, they might now say, oh, okay, it's, it, it, this is, this is addicting. You know, I, I, loved seeing the art of the Baltic. And now I want, now I want to see what the art of French Polynesia is like. So it, um, it really can become addicting, I think. And that makes sense, especially if you have a real, uh, affinity for it. So you know, to use the word, uh, that we've been, <laughs> been talking about since the beginning, but yeah, if you have a real, uh, uh, interest in it, well, that makes perfect sense that the, you, you want it to become part of any travel that you would do. And I, I would guess that, 
I, like you said, it might be confusing or might be hard for somebody to believe that a place like French Polynesia would be as rich of an art destination uh, as you say, or, or as I mentioned, Detroit, you know, who n almost nobody goes to Detroit that I know of or that I have known in the past uh -huh. to, to see the, the art and architecture. So these travelers, though, probably would look to you to suggest places or to to come up with these places right. that they might not have right. might not have come up with on their own. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you go there. There's the Detroit Institute of the Art, which arts, which is fabulous. Um, but there's a Frank Lloyd Wright design building that's right outside of, of downtown Detroit. And um, we'll visit that on our tour. And so you're right, people might not know that that even exists. And it can just blow your mind when you see it and experience it. And so do you, and do these ideas come from, I mean, you might come up with some of them, or maybe uh, an operator that you work with might come up with them, or, but is it uh -huh. people involved in the museums? I mean, do you have curators or, or art experts or or, you know, some of your leaders that you work with on, that, that go out and actually lead these tours, do, do a lot of the ideas come from them too? Yes, all of the above, definitely. It's a partnership. And some, I might um, know a destination better than another destination. So I might create the itinerary, but often we'll have partners, especially in other countries, we'll have op operators like your wonderful company that um, plan it and, you know, you and I rely on their expertise. So it can definitely be a partner partnership. And one tour, you know, our a tour to Detroit, for example, it will be a combination of, um, you know, tips from maybe our curators at our museum, partners we work with on the ground there, a study leader, my own research. Um, so yeah, definitely we bring in all of the, all of it all, all together to make the perfect tour. <laughs> That's the goal at least. Makes sense. Well, and be, let's wrap up this little part by saying, do you see any, uh, any trends or any, uh, I mean, do you, do you think art is becoming more of a, of a, an attraction as part of a tour or the focus of a tour or I mean this and it might go nowhere with this I'm not sure but you know is it or is it something that's uh, uh and uh, this is sort of a tough question I guess but you know is it something that's sort of aging out you know like a lot of things you know or do, are, do you have young people that are that are becoming interested in the art as well I mean it's sort of uh, as far as well I mean I guess when it comes to traveling for art you know, you might not, uh, mm -hmm. you might not think of it as, as sort of a young person's thing. And I guess, you know, everybody grows up, but, uh, uh, do you think it yeah. is, is becoming more of a, more of a, more of a part of travel or more or less? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, I definitely have seen a growth in the demand for our tours, um, Mostly it's retirees who go on our tours. And as you said, people grow up and do, is that what they want to do? It's a good question. Um, I had a friend come on, on a trip and she really loved it. And now she wants to do all of our tours. So she's mm -hmm. in her late thirties. Um, my husband was actually with me in French Polynesia and he's more of a, um, active traveler. He wanted to be out paddling on, you know, in the kayak or stand up paddling the whole time. Um, but he came with me to these art destinations and loved it and kind of, you know, gained an appreciation for, um, learning about, I mean, he's definitely curious. He teaches religion. So he's, uh, he's, um, an 
on the college level. So he he is intellectually curious for sure, but he also thought, you know, French Polynesia, I just want to be paddling the whole time. Um, but he really appreciated it too. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I also think about social media and influencers and how it is, um, uh, what do they call it? Like, you know, a, a spot where you take your, it's an Instagram worthy kind of a mural on the wall or something. So I think there is a bit of a, interest in that, but it's, you know, it's kind of a snapshot. It's, you know, it might be a little bit um, more uh, kind of like a a quick glimpse of it. Um, But I I think that, I think that it will either continue to grow or, or maybe stay the same. I'm not sure. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's fine to go on vacation and have fun and drink out of your tropical, you know, umbrella drink and just sit on the beach and relax. It's just a different kind of vacation. And um, I think it will continue to be, I think Affinity Travel will continue to be something that is really popular for, a, you know, a certain group of people that are, are looking for that. Or maybe they also do a relaxing vacation, but then this is, you know, one, they might want to do one of this type of trip per year or something like that. Um, but I don't know. It would be an interesting study to see if it's if it's growing or or decreasing in popularity. But I think it's growing. Yes. Well, I, I mean, the art's not going anywhere, right? It's been we we uh-huh. we're, we're seeing art and we're we're experiencing art that's you know anywhere from you know hours to centuries old, right? So it's it's going to be there. There's going to be art to see for the foreseeable future, right? So that there, it should continue, right. it should continue to be an attraction. But you also mentioned something that I love, and this is something that I have been, you know, sort of an evangelist for, and that is that you, I love that you want to take, you know, Mr. Traveler, Mrs. Traveler, I love that you want to take that vacation that is just relaxing on the beach or, or, you know, stand up, you know, paddle boarding in Tahiti, whatever. And I understand that these sort of uh, planned group tours, you know, the 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 uh, what's the the stereotypical you know view of the the tourist the tour bus pulling up and you know the, everybody getting out of the tour bus and seeing things and then getting back on the bus, you know, I, nobody says it has to be one way or the other only, right? That's the, uh-huh. that's the thing that I am trying to talk about is that you said it perfectly. Maybe you take one of these trips a year. Right. And then, you know, or one every two years. And then as, you know, you grow or as things change, maybe you, the the ratio changes, but nobody says you only have to do, once you start taking an affinity, you know, a planned or any kind of group tour, that that's the only kind of travel you're allowed to do. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think it's healthier probably to mix it up and, and having an adventure tour where you're, you know, backpacking, you know, through the Dolomites in Italy, is fantastic and i love that and and i don't i wouldn't discourage anybody from doing that kind of traveling but at the same time you don't have to only do that kind of travel and i can i i would say that you're you're limiting yourself and you're doing yourself a disservice by saying no i would never do that or i would never do the group tour or or you know one way or the or anywhere in between right 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 all right. Yeah. Sorry, that was my soapbox. But uh, let, <laughs> I love it. Let's take a little. Uh, we'll we'll take a little break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about coffee. Sounds great. I like coffee. 
All right. I'm talking to Lisa Benshia, the, uh, who runs the travel program. What, what's your title? You run the travel program at Santa Barbara Museum of Art. Is, it, is there something more specific? Uh, no, that pretty much says it. My title is Travel and Special Programs Manager, and the special programs is usually concerts, but it probably takes up, I don't know, 1% or maybe 2% 2 of my time um, are the chamber music concert programs. Travel takes up 98% of it. It's it's much more um, a part of my job. So I should just be called the travel manager. <laughs> that was a long answer. <laughs> got it. No, that's great. That's great. It uh, sounds yeah, interesting. You've got it. <laughs> sounds, it sounds great. But that's something and something that we can probably agree on and that we both uh, have in common daily uh, is coffee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sounds like we both really like coffee. All right. So this is a, pl- a part of the podcast that I talk to all the guests about coffee, whether they have a coffee routine, whether they are, you know, coffee crazy or whether they don't care about coffee. Believe it or not, I've talked to people. I have actually talked to people, to humans uh, who don't like coffee and don't drink coffee. And uh, uh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, let's talk about your coffee routine uh, do you have, are, are you sort of a coffee snob where you have to have, you know, fresh ground beans and, and do it, uh, you know, uh, by hand and, and take extra care and extra time every day? Tell me, tell me what you do. No, no, not at all. I have an automatic coffee maker. I don't measure it. I just kind of throw it in there. I want the pot to be hot though. And we got one of those thermal um, coffee makers. So I, I pour hot water into it first. And then um, for environmental reasons, then I dump that hot water into my plants outside to save it because it is, you know, otherwise it would be wasteful, but that keeps it hot. Other than that, I'm not a snob at all. I don't really care what kind of coffee I'm drinking. I just want it to be a big hot pot that I had have every morning. But during this lockdown period, our automatic coffee maker actually broke. Mm. And so my husband and I thought, maybe we should try an espresso machine. We had never owned one and they make espresso, but they also make a, you know, cup of coffee. And so for, for several weeks, we enjoyed it. Um, And then one day I said to my husband, I miss our big pot of coffee in the morning. And, you know, just be, if you want a little bit more, you just pour a little bit more from the craft. And I kind of expected him to say, we got the Nespresso now. We probably don't, you know, need the drip coffee maker. The Nespresso does it all. Um, but it, it just, you know, it, it doesn't really. And he surprised me. He said, in this family, we take our coffee very seriously. Absolutely. Let's get it. So now we have both. Mm. And I do the big, you know, drip coffee in the morning and then the Nespresso in the afternoon. And so my new Nespresso tip that I do, you know how, do you know what an Arrochino is? Uh, uh, No, tell me. (laughs) So most of the Nespresso machines come with the Arrochino and, or you can buy it separately and it foams the milk. So, but what I just discovered is if I put my cinnamon and sugar combination, only a little sugar. It's mostly cinnamon. And then I have a vanilla syrup. I think it's Sonoma syrup that I got online and it's great. And I'll put that into the Arrochino with the milk, foam it up, and then you put it on top of the 
coffee and it makes you this latte with like the vanilla and cinnamon infused into the milk, foamed mm. milk. It's so good. Uh-huh. So now you have the best of both worlds, right? You, you, I do. I thought you were going to, the, the way that story was going, I thought you were going to go back to the, to the, just the drip coffee carafe. And, and you know, I, the, what I was going to say about that is what's interesting is no matter what, no matter how good the coffee is, uh, that you might be exposed to or might be introduced to there like most things, but particularly with something like food or coffee in, uh, in particular, that there's a comfort factor, right? So if it's something that you're used to and something you've done for years and something that has worked for you and your routine, it's sort of like, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Uh, but you, you went even a step, you, 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 you gamed the system and you have both now. And that, that makes sense. Did you have coffee in the afternoon before or is it is it now just uh, Nespresso in the afternoon because you have this now this awesome new uh, Nespresso routine? Uh, you know, before the pandemic, I would go to a coffee shop and usually maybe, maybe half of the days I would get an afternoon coffee. But I think part of it is being at home a lot more. It's something to look forward to in the afternoon. So I'd say 100% of the time I have a, a latte in the afternoon. Or one more thing that I sometimes do is a chai latte and then add a shot of espresso to that. Yeah, listen to you. You, really you, were trying, you were trying to downplay at the beginning <laughs> your, your whole coffee, uh, your, 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 your coffee world and, and how, uh, how into the coffee thing you are. But the truth is slowly uh, trickling out here. But... <laughs> But it, but as you said, I'm not. And you asked about being a snob. I'm not. But I do have a ritual of coffee, you know. Or like in the morning, I'll put it into the same mug and I'll sit in the exact same way with one leg up and one leg crossed, and that's my ritual, you know. But I I I don't have like a certain way that I make it. That's really fabulous. Have you made Dalgona coffee? Oh my gosh, no. Tell me about that. No. Okay, so. It's you whip equal parts instant coffee, sugar, and hot water, and then you it becomes kind of like a a whipped light consistency, and so you add that on top of the hot or cold milk, and it stays layered, so it's really pretty. And then you can liven it up by you know sprinkling cinnamon or honey or something. But it seems to be one of those characteristic COVID nineteen activities, like baking bread and doing puzzles right. and watching Tiger King that a lot of people caught on to, but I didn't know about it for a while. And my friend just told me, but it was, you know, uh, there's TikTok videos of showing how to make Delgana coffee. I love it. I love it. Noted. Noted. Here we go. This is, <laughs> this is why I have this part of the podcast. Okay. And, and finally, before, before we wrap up the coffee part though, uh, you as a travel you know, work in a travel office, you don't travel as much as probably people would, would anticipate. I get that all the time that, you know, I know I, I have a travel job. That doesn't mean I'm always traveling, but do you have, and you know, this is a shot in the dark, but do you have any coffee memories or coffee stories or, or, you know, coffee anecdotes about uh, someplace you've been or, or someplace you visited or someplace you were traveling? I love that you said shot in the dark because isn't that a cup of drip coffee, American coffee <laughs> with a shot in it? Oh, a no. shot in the dark or a red eye? It all comes back to coffee. Um, oh my gosh. I guess the only thing, honestly, that I can think of is being in Ireland and the trauma of not having coffee available when I first woke up. I mean, as a traveler with the group, I think it's really important. And anyone 
of my coworkers who travels on our trips, it's really important to me that they are down there at breakfast, seeing how everyone is, you know, making rounds at the breakfast tables, whatever. So obviously to do that, you need your cup of coffee when you wake up, you're working at 7am. And in Ireland, we were at this uh, it's, it was like on a lake. It was, it was owned by a Lord, Lord Ern. And he was there with us all the time. And it was this fabulous experience, but he, but like breakfast was at maybe 8am. And before that time, there was no place to get coffee. And there were two other travelers on the trip who I knew were also coffee lovers. And we were, we were like, this morning was awful. This can't happen again. Where do we get coffee in the morning? And so I arranged it for them and for me and for anyone else who wanted to, to make sure to get their coffee. So, (laughs) oh boy, I really am a coffee fanatic. That's my one travel coffee memory is the time when I maybe wasn't going to be able to get it. (laughs) See, it is, it is important. It's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? That the, yeah. the, the 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 exceptional you know rem- memory that you have about coffee and traveling is when it wasn't there because it's <laughs> it's so rare right it's it's ubiquitous everywhere you go there's coffee or there's you know at least some place to find coffee but that that sounds like the the definition of a good travel host group travel host is you managed to find the coffee when there was no coffee <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should be a better job requirement for Love hosting it. a trip. Love it. All right. Well, let's now that we've uh, now that we've discovered your your full coffee uh, obsession. Let's talk uh, quickly. Let, let's move on to the next part. And that and uh, this is something that I love to hear from people who have traveled to different places and maybe a, a little bit of of uh, you know, or I shouldn't say a little. I should say a a nice broad range of places. And it's uh, off the beaten path and on the beaten path, right? Where when we talk about off the beaten path, this is some place maybe that you've been, or it doesn't even have to be a, a you know whole city or destination or country. It could be uh, just any place that you have been that you can't believe more people haven't visited or or more people don't visit. Do you have any place like that? Bhutan and Marfa come to mind. Mm. So I can't just think of one, but I've already mentioned Bhutan is my favorite country and that's a magical place. So I guess I'll talk about Marfa, Texas. And a lot of people don't know about it, but it's this art destination in the middle of Texas. And again, even if you're not an art lover, you will love the experience of being in Marfa. It's where Donald Judd, an artist who was in um, New York City, went out west in the 70s and went to Marfa, Texas, um, which the closest big city is El Paso, but it's about three three hours um, of a drive from El Paso. And um, he started creating contemporary art there. And so his art is there, his studio, his home, you can see all that. Um, But he inspired contemporary artists even still today to go there. And it's, um, it's really the surprising outpost and, you know, the middle of Texas, but it's all about wide open spaces. A lot of it is outdoor art. Um, Donald Judd created these concrete boxes that are 
massively huge. Um, some are inside, some are outside. And it just, and then you have um, Robert Irwin and um, oh, so many artists that don't come to mind at the moment, but you just um, visit these different sites and it, it's it's incredible. It's it's something you, it's otherworldly. I love it. Martha, Texas. Yes, that's, this, that's Martha, what I'm Texas. looking for. I've and, been there three times. <laughs> wow. Wow. And it doesn't sound like it's that easy to get to. Nope, it's not. You can fly there. And we've looked into that. Um, it's mostly kind of private jet sort of a thing. And mm-hmm. it just, it's not, uh, it, it's a pot, it's possible, but we like, we like flying into El Paso. And then the three hour drive is parts of it are beautiful. We watch um, a movie that was filmed in that area. Um, I'll get back to you on it. <laughs> and then you see this place called Prada Marfa on the way. So you kind of, it, it, the, the time goes by really quickly. Giants, that's the movie. Love it. Love it. And there's a whole art community there now. Wow. You never, you, didn't, yeah. you never would have guessed. All right. And yeah, now so we go to an artist home and, you know, you can really have a really neat experience there. I love it. All right. And now we're going to flip it and talk about on the beaten path, someplace that's in a big destination, you know, that uh, many travelers would probably have been to, or sort of, you know, people who are well-traveled probably have been to, or at least know a lot about, but maybe there's something there that is not on most travelers' radar, you know? I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, everybody that goes to uh, Paris, you know, it goes to the Louvre, sees the Mona Lisa, but, you know, one, just one gallery over, there's an amazing painting that nobody goes to, to look at, or, or it could be anything like that. Do you have, <laughs> do you have something like that for us? My obvious choice, but um, it's where I grew up on Oahu and it's, you know, it's where Waikiki is. It's where Pearl Harbor is. It's called, a lot of people call it the the main island um, and it has probably 80% of the population. So that's where most people live. Um, but a lot of people equate it with Waikiki. So, you know, people have been there and maybe they go to the North Shore, but the northeastern side of Oahu is what I always suggest to people, um, especially people who say, oh, I don't like Oahu. I'll go to Maui or Kauai. Well, if you drive up toward the North Shore along the northeastern side, you get the Ko'olau Mountain Range. That is just, it blows me away even every time I, I see it, even though I lived on that side um, growing up. And it's just this tall, steep mountain range that you drive past. You can go to hike Jackass Ginger, one of my favorite hikes along the way. You can look at Polly Lookout, oh, um, which is very historic. It's where King Kamehameha's troops won their battle and uh, led to the him being the first king of all, and uniting the Hawaiian Islands. So you can go up to the Pali Lookout. Um, you can stop by Biotawin, which is a temple that's modeled after the one in Japan. And I think it's the same scale and it's gorgeous if you want kind of a cultural experience. Um, and my food suggestion, if it's open, you always have to, it's hit or miss, but why a holy Koi factory for Hawaiian food. And then um, if you've heard of Kualoa Ranch, which is where they filmed Jurassic Park and um, 
you know, bunch of movies. Um, you can do horseback riding or ATV tours or things like that there. Um, if you want to spend a little money and if you don't want to spend money, just go to the beaches around there. They're just beautiful. Um, Mokali'i is the, or it's also called Chinaman's Hat is this very special island offshore. Um, my mom grew up there and my grandparents lived there and it's just a really special, um, side of the island. And I think people, when they go there, they, they say, Oh, I didn't know this, this, type of um landscape was in was on oahu so that would be my suggestion oh i love it i love (laughs) it because i have to admit guilty as charged uh (laughs) i you know i'll fly and i i don't go to hawaii that often i don't want to miss uh misrepresent myself here but you know when i have been you know i'll fly to maui and uh Uh you know maybe i'll go to the big island and you know i I dip a toe in uh, at Kauai. But I generally have not spent much time on Oahu for all the reasons that you mentioned. And now uh-huh. I'm kicking myself. So I love it. I love it. But one other question. But tell me again the name of the, the food suggestion. Waiahole Poi Factory. Waiahole Poi Factory. Do you want me to spell it? No, no. But here's the question. Uh, if we go there, if people go there, do they have to eat the poi? <laughs> no. You don't okay. have to. Okay. Actually, I don't really love poi. I'll get it and I'll just have, I'll like dip my fork into it and then eat it with the Kahlua pig. Um, yeah. I don't like big amounts of it. So yeah, you can totally just forego it. But well, get Kahlua pig, get lao lao, lomi lomi salmon. Um, it always comes with rice, you know, the Japanese influence. Um, and what else if I for? Oh, squid luau and um, chicken long rice is one of my favorite things. Good, good. Well, that's a relief. That's a really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, how many uh, how many people listening, uh, all uh, I don't know how many people listening have uh, have experienced the poi. It's something you should do definitely. Uh, but most with your of, fingers, right? Too. Yeah, your, your two fingers, <laughs> right? The two fingers, but yeah. but uh, most of you will only do it the once. I'll uh, I'll go yep. ahead and put that out there. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Listen, uh, we're going to wrap it up, but I want to give you the final word. Do you have any, anything you want to talk about? Any, uh, anybody you want to shout out? Anything you want to promote? Any, I mean, tell us, tell us uh, something you have going on. (laughs) Well, even though we talked about how virtual travels are not the same as seeing something in person, we have developed a webpage during this Time, pandemic and it's www.sbma.net slash travel slash armchair or you can just go to sbma.net and look for travel and then armchair travels and we have all kinds of articles books um videos to watch uh little facts and quotes and um, a profile of our most frequent traveler who's been on 32 trips, Lorna Hedges. Um, I also want to do a profile of our founder who I always want to give a shout out to, Shelly Reston. Um, so anyway, it's a fun website to, to visit. And uh, that's what we're, we're working on that. And we're working on planning future tours. Wow. Love it. 32 trips? Frequent Traveler is right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And to give us the, the URL. <laughs> give us the URL one more time. SB, or www.sbma.net slash travel slash armchair. Armchair. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Thanks for, for talking with me about art, art and travel, art in, uh, in the world. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun talking to you too. 
Awesome. And you know that I'm going to be uh, looking into those coffee suggestions that you made. <laughs> Enjoy. Tell me how they work out. Will do. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Thanks again. Talk to you again soon, I hope. Sounds great. You too. Thank you. The Travel Grind podcast is brought to you by Criterion Travel a specialty tour operator that works with affinity organizations to develop and run expert-led educational group tours all over the world for travelers interested in diving deeper than the average tourist. To find out more, visit them online at CriterionTravel.com. And for more episodes and other goodies, find us on the web at TravelGrind.show or using the social media handle TravelGrindShow. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.